Balotelli. Aguero! Lewandowski goes through it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think he scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We're back with the 50 plus one football podcast. We're back with a special. And of course, with me as always, the and I'm going to use it again because it's still so sweet. The Champions League title to my Bayern Munich, Billy. I'll let you have that. You get that for <laughs> one more week until the season starts again, and then you're not allowed to use it. But, I'm going to milk it for all it's worth. Believe <laughs> me. But this week, we're joined by Dev Bajwa, who works for DAZN, but he's also a budding author of a book called The Football Spiderweb. So what's going on, Dev? How have you been keeping? Yeah, I'm good, man. Thanks, guys, for having me. Great to be nice. here. Absolute pleasure, mate. So how's life been locked down for you? Because I know you said to me that you're working full time still and you've been writing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, well, we'll get into the book um, in a second because that started kind of um, before lockdown. So um, that was just the process that, if anything, was sped up by the fact that, you know, we didn't have to go into work and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. in all honesty, I've been pretty lucky i mean i've not been furloughed at any point uh, throughout the lockdown period uh just been working from home nine to five uh sometimes out of hours to deal with all the various things that the zone deal with and because the lockdown was so intrinsically linked with sport and sport being put off or sport being put back on again we've been at the forefront of kind of getting that all back so yeah it's been a strange time like for everyone really but I have to admit I'm one of the lucky ones to be fair so I can't complain my end yeah I feel uh similar to you I'm working for ITV Sport it's like we went from having nothing nice to having yeah like back to everything again and things like that and exactly you know I count myself quite lucky and it's given me and Lewis an opportunity the lockdown's given us an opportunity to start this podcast and like you say yeah it's given you an opportunity if anything to work more on your book so what made mm-hmm. you want to start writing the football spider web in the first place? Well, to be honest, I'm, even when I was in school, I was always that kid who just enjoyed writing a lot. To be honest, I write in the book like a little dedication to my English teacher, actually, in the very first page, because she yeah. um, just kind of uncovered this this love for writing. I don't know what it was, but I'm a big talker, as I'm sure you'll, you'll come to see. And, um, you know, I like presenting and I've always liked articulating myself and I guess a book is not only just the, the you know the most perverse way of articulating yourself and how long it can be but it's also a true dedication to something and you know as someone who's overcome a few things in my personal life just I never thought I could sit down and write a book but I thought well I never will <laughs> know if I can unless I try so I just thought I'd begin and the football spiderweb as a particular genre always came about because I'm just a bit of a football nerd, to be honest. Like it's it's as simple as that when it when it all began because I I like obviously we all see what we see on the TV and we see what we see on the pitch, but I was always just interested in what went on behind the scenes. I don't know why. It, it was just always an interest of mine. And I was just watching a um a True Geordie podcast. Have you guys heard of True Geordie? Yeah, I've been watching of course, a couple of, of course. 
exactly like the king of UK uh, podcasters probably but like I was listening to his podcast with um with David Icke and David Icke the conspiracy theorist and he mentioned that as part of his journey to uncover some of the truths going behind the scenes of other things he had to kind of step back and say okay look you can look at things in two ways you know you either have an isolated moment where you just look at that one moment in history and say that's all it was or you take a step back and you realize that it's part of a series of moments which pertain to an overall bigger thing and I just thought well what can I talk about that I love so much that I'm willing to research in in order to find these types of links and I just started the research from there and football was the only thing that really came out and then I began thinking you know 50 years was a round number let's do a 50-year timeline and see what moments I can come up with and because I'm such a nerd, just off the top of my head, so many came about. And then I found links and I researched more, uncovered a few others and uncovered a few secretive ones that just pulled together in a single narrative. So I thought it, it kind of just developed as it went on. But weirdly, the football spider web was always the title. So I just kept working it into that. I like that. And the, what, what you say about David, like the whole stepping back and looking yeah. at different things. I, my favourite one from the from the, your website that you gave us, Sports Scripture, that we'll put yeah. a link down to in the description, was Thank the you. Ronaldinho transfer to Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, that, that was that led, really... How that led yeah, to I'm, Ronaldo going to United. Yeah, like that, that's another thing with when it comes to football transfers. Like the Ronaldinho-Ronaldo saga is just one of a number that I speak about because transfers, you know, we, we always see our fees and contracts and numbers and players and shirts. That's all we really get to see. But we, when it comes to the mindset behind getting these players, it's, it's, it's a simple case of supply and demand. And once you have a target, sometimes you don't always get that target and you have to resort to a secondary option, which is the case with uh, Ronaldinho. I mean, can I go into the Ronaldinho bit? Yeah. By all means. Yeah, by all means, mate. So this one, I, 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 you know, I practiced it this, this weekend if we came to actually explaining it because it can be a bit long-winded, but I'll, I'll do my best to keep it concise. But around 2003, 2002, 2003, uh, Florentino Perez is installed as the president of Real Madrid. He comes up with this thing called the Galactico policy, which for all of our continental listeners is not a real word. <laughs> it's just something that he created uh, to install this bit of gravitas to his Real Madrid name and as part of that he said as soon as I become president I'm going to buy at least one major signing per transfer window that's what he promised them uh, both in January and in the summer and it began with the signing of Luis Figo it went on to sign R9, Zinedine Zidane um, but then when he had those players there he then started to realize like okay looking at the goal scoring records of all of them a lot of what they were doing was coming off the ground and was going to be either through counter-attacks or through their own specific plays. But when it came to set pieces, all they could really rely on was A, Zidane, who didn't have a great scoring record while he was in Madrid from set pieces, and Roberto Carlos, which, to be fair, I'm, uh, yeah, he scored that brilliant goal against France for, for Brazil, but not many other than that. So he wasn't very consistent with that and he wanted a set-piece specialist. So top of his list is someone who I probably consider to be one of the greatest set-piece specialists of all time in David Beckham. And around that time, David Beckham was going through his little kind of posh spice era where people were finding out about him, like he was hitting the tabloids and all that. And he'd butt heads with Sir Alex Ferguson to the point where Fergie was willing to let him go. He thought, he thought you know, his head was diverted elsewhere and all of a sudden 
Perez sees this incredible superstar, which not only fits the Galactico policy, but also fits his, like, what is missing in the team. So he's like, right, I have to sign David Beckham. Um, little did he know at the time that Barcelona, you know, arch rivals of, of uh, Real Madrid, were looking for the same thing. And they singled out Beckham even quicker than Real Madrid did. And it was initially, the story goes that um, early on in the summer that Barcelona had inquired about him. It went through a long drawn out saga before they got an offer accepted of around 20 million euros for Beckham from Manchester United. And it was soon after that tiff with Fergie that that happened. Perez gets wind of that and he thinks, no, there's no chance in what I'm trying to do that Barcelona are going to take my man. So he outbids them. And he goes for about 27 and a half million, well above the release clause. And Beckham is unveiled as a Real Madrid Galactico. This leaves FC Barcelona thinking, okay, <laughs> who do we get? And their next option was to look abroad at a few different other um, players that were coming on the market at the time. Um, they did look at Iron Robin. There was thoughts that they were going to go for youth and go for someone of that, of that ilk. But they wanted someone who would perhaps not be as set-piece focused as Beckham, because no one really was at that time at that level, but someone who could bring something else, kind of a Galactico of their own. And Ronaldinho appeared on the market, and it was to the point where he was at Paris Saint-Germain at the time, and Paris Saint-Germain, you know, they were nowhere near the level that they are now, and nowhere near back at the level that they are now. So it was a one-horse race for his signature, and because they were so focused on getting someone after losing out on Beckham, they went for Ronaldinho tooth and nail, plucked him out, like no questions asked, paid over the odds, got him. And then little did they know at the time that Ronaldinho was actually Manchester United's star choice to replace David Beckham. So all of this goes on mm -hmm. and you realise just how intravenously it's all linked. And around this time also, there was an issue going around where... Uh, Perez was having issues with the managers of not playing the Galacticos properly and, and yada, 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 to the point where he caught after Carlos Quiros, who was the assistant manager of Manchester United. And he gets installed as Real Madrid manager. It doesn't work out. But while there, he uses his little black book of contacts and up springs the name Cristiano Ronaldo. And had Perez been a little bit more tactful and been open to what Quiros was saying, Ronaldo could have been unveiled as a potential Real Madrid Galactico at that time. He probably wouldn't have had the gravitas at that time because he was still a teenager and whatever. But because of every single component in this little triangle getting annoyed by the others, they fought tooth and nail for who they thought was their last resort. So technically, Perez got his man. He got Beckham. He's happy. He's, he's done what he needs to do. Uh, Barcelona are annoyed. They take Ronaldinho out of the hands of Manchester United, who are even more annoyed that they have to resort to this kid called Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> and it all stems from the fact that Perez got his man. And yet, out of all of these guys who had to resort to an option, I'd say probably the team that was the last resort fared up the best. So it's, there's, it, like the book is filled with things like that, but I thought that was a particular particularly interesting kind of chain of events of how it all goes down. And again, on the face of it, it's just Ronaldo um, goes to United, Beckham goes to Madrid, Ronaldinho goes to Barca, but they're all linked and you never would have thought it. You're basically describing the domino effect that yeah. the transfer market is because um, it's now been, you know, quoted by the media almost as where 
Sky, um, at least Sky Germany, tr love to do this is where they highlight a potential domino effect that could happen in the summer. Yeah. Um, for example, Leverkusen biding their time with transfers until they get the Kai Havertz money because exactly. it was more or less it was it was a given that he was he was going to Chelsea. It was just a matter of time when would Chelsea finally budge on the transfer um, fee. And yeah. now Leverkusen are sitting there. Well, we've got 80 million. Now we can start buying, you know, our uh, center attacking mids, our strikers, our wingers, anyone who we can to get, you know, fill the hole that Kai Havertz is. And yeah. as you've just highlighted, no one knows what holes that will leave when Leverkusen mm -hmm. get their guys. And those yeah. are the teams might, you know, fare up just like Manchester United end up getting, you know, their star player of the century or exactly. the decade. <laughs> yeah, definitely over the decade. But yeah, it's it's funny how it all links. And you mentioned the Havertz one, but even Ben Chilwell going to Leicester so quickly, as it turns out, they waited to get their 50 million quid so they could pay 20 million on Timothy uh, Castagna. And they're going to try and get an attacking midfielder this summer. So it, their dominoes everywhere, like everywhere in the transfer market for sure. You could keep writing this football spider web, you know, just as you go along, really, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, he really, really could. He really could. So we... You talk about Kai Havertz and Ben Chilwell there. Mm -hmm. I know on your website you've written about Chelsea's one-window makeover. Yeah. So in terms of that, just talking about Chelsea for one minute, mm -hmm. how is that? How do you see them faring this season with the players they've brought in, like the Hakim Ziyech and Timo Werner and the players that you mentioned before? Well, to be honest, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of Chelsea. I'm not, I've, no, I've never professed to be a huge fan of Chelsea, but I have to, you have to just sit back and recognise that they've had one of the most outstanding uh, transfer winners of the current era. I can't really remember. Like, they are well-resourced, like almost infinitely resourced. I, I can admit that. But it reminds me of when Manchester City first had their major like, money coming in and spent all that money on Tevez, Adebayor and Santa Cruz and Bellamy and everyone. It reminds me of that because... Chelsea were lagging quite far behind. And I think if they hadn't been so youthful, hadn't been coached so well, I think they would have been quite fortunate to get into the top four. Um, but one thing that's interested with all this is that it was only, what, a year ago that they get imposed this massive, you know, transfer embargo for all these various reasons, which sets them up for the next two years to not do anything. And then one year later, it gets... Um, it gets rebutted and it comes in an era where everyone's having to be mindful of their money. But because Chelsea didn't spend, they no longer have to be mindful. So I think they've, they've been fortunate, if you can call it that. It depends which way you want to look at it. They've been fortunate to get that embargo when they did, because they were going to get it at some point. And they've used it to purchase, in particularly Zayec and Werner and, of course, Havertz. But you've got to also look at Thiago Silva. And Ben Chil like Ben Chilwell, I think they might have overpaid 50 million for him, but it doesn't really matter so long as he's a good player, which he is. Thiago Silva will probably last two years, but will probably be invaluable for the younger kids coming in. And under Frank, I think he's just absolutely smashed out the park. And for this season, I can see them in the top three hunt. I think they might uh, overcome Manchester United in that hunt, unless United's transfer policy has something to say about that. Um, they're a bit. They're just a way off of getting the title just yet because they need to embed and they need to develop chemistry and see if they actually work out on the pitch because the balance with Pulisic and um, Zayek and everyone involved, we don't know how it's going to look yet. Um, 
But on paper, yeah, they've now cultivated one of the strongest teams in the league. So I think we can expect them to be in the top two race in the next two years if they embed properly. On the, the subject of dominoes and spider-web mm. effects, do these players coming in, in, yeah. your, in your opinion, do you think that that has an effect on the futures of Mason Mount, uh, Tammy Abraham, Billy Gilmore maybe? I know he's still quite young though. Yeah. Well, to be honest, I think they're very talented players, but they were promoted quite prematurely into the role that they were made to do. Um, yeah, it was more would, uh, out of necessity than yeah than one. And, and, yeah, and it's with no disrespect to them. They, they've proven themselves to be very good at it, but you saw Tammy Abraham do brilliantly at the start of the season, then kind of tail off. Mason Mount kind of did the same thing, but I think it's only going to benefit them. Like They might not get as much game time as they're used to getting, but they're a shoe-in for all of the cup competitions and maybe some of the lesser Premier League sides, if there are any. Um, and Tammy Abraham is a different proposal to Werner so I think Abraham will probably not see his game time limited all that much considering who's come in but with the Mount one I think he's going to be a bit annoyed like look I've done so well you've brought in Havertz who is literally a like for like improvement on what I've done on on the face of it all so I think if Frank does it well and he says look these are players coming in to help the squad and to um, you know maximize who you can be then I think we might see see Mount dropping a bit deeper as a box-to-box midfielder. Abraham is the sole target man who can play up along Werner or as a different option to him. So I think, personally, the development can still continue. And if anything, I don't think they would have benefited all that well from a second season where they might not have done as well as their first. So there's two ways you can look at it. But personally, I think that only great things can come from having great players around you. And from the looks of it, Havertz, Werner, they are great players. And I think they'll benefit from that. And that links in perfectly to what Lewis was, I think, just about to ask about when you talk about the process. So do you want to talk about that, Lewis? <laughs> you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly what I was going to ask. Because seeing as you've just said, you know, one can only expect great things from such players. And, you know, mm-hmm. the fact that Havertz and Vanna have both performed outstandingly in the last Bundesliga season. Yeah. Do you think that the English media or... I mean, I say English media because they yeah. seem to be, you know, the main culprits when it comes to this, uh, to <laughs> yeah. this problem. But do you think that the English media will actually give Frank Lampard the time to, you know, get the Chelsea team together, get their, get the chemistry, as you've said, of this team together in time for the English media to actually be, you know, Kinda happy, happy with, with you know, what the, what the Chelsea manager and what the Chelsea team produce? Because everyone's going to be looking at Chelsea right now and saying the fact that they've gone and spent, I think as of now, over 200 million euros should speak to the fact that they should be at least in the top three, as you said, and challenging for the title. I think, it's a very interesting question, I think it's going to be, we're going to see the difference between lazy journalism and true journalism. I think it's easy to look at how much they've spent and say, yep, on paper they've got a great squad and they should be challenging straight off the bat. They shouldn't be losing any games at the first month of the season because their running isn't too terrible but on the face of on in reality they they are human beings that need to embed they need to become a team and they need to do well and it's in a period in particular where the um pre-season break is nowhere near as long as it used to be um a lot of them are probably going to come a bit more fatigued than usual especially with the UEFA Nations League 
And I think some, the true journalists out there and the people who are fair in their assessment of Lampard will give him time and will say, the pundits certainly will, because a lot of them are Frank's <laughs> friends probably, but they'll probably say, you know, he does need time to embed these players. And more importantly, I think he's got a bit more bargaining power than I think some of the older Chelsea managers had, because before it was, they've um, come from great backgrounds, they've got such pedigree, they should be winning titles because they have won titles. Whereas Frank Lampard has come from Derby in a failed pro- playoff promotion spot and has taken them to the top four when he couldn't sign anyone. So he's going to probably be a bit more of a darling in the eyes of the media. And in its, I'm, I'm not saying that's any, a bad thing or a good thing per se, but I think that's how it's going to end up being. So compared to other managers, I think they'll cut Frank a little bit more slack. Um, whether they should do that or not is anybody's guess, but I think any manager deserves time to embed new players in. And if we get to January and you think, oh, they're not doing so well, that's probably when the vultures will start really coming out. But realistically, Frank needs a full season with these lads to fully see how they take the winter break, how they take international duty, how they embed over the course of a gruelling season, which compared to Bundesliga, like it is a, like Bundesliga is by no means a poor a league. It's a brilliant league, in fact, and English media doesn't quite respect how good it is at times. But I want them to look after him a bit more and give him a bit more leeway. And in the circumstances, I think they will more than they used to. But I guess, mark my words, if they're not in the top four by February, March, yeah, the pincers will come out, that's for sure. I mean, especially with, you know, the fact that you just said uh, Bundesliga isn't as grueling, that is a fair Mm -hmm. assessment just because, one, there are two less teams in the top flight in Germany. So obviously... You're going to have less games there, and you also don't have two domestic cups, so yeah. there's a lot less uh, of a um, time crunch, if you will. That being said, you do have the uh, you know the crunched schedule in general because of the mm-hmm. pandemic, and yeah. also the fact that you're going to have not just the Nations League, but then the European tournament Euros. next summer, yeah. and then yeah. you have no break because 2022. You have the World Cup in Qatar. So the next couple of years, in fact, are going to be schedules crunch for time yeah. as is. And it's going to be very interesting to see how players manage that in general. Yeah, and even the Olympics is going to be crammed into there somewhere. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot of football. But um, I hope, Frank, like, listen, from, from a purely objective point of view, I might not like Chelsea, but I love what Lampard's done with them. And he's given them a bit more personality than probably they've lacked in certain years. And... I hope he. I, I really do hope they give him time because I think he's earned that, and he's earned a full season to fully get under wraps with the squad. And this season is going to be a tough one. So let's. And they they got the depth, mind you, Chelsea. They have got one of the best squad depths in the league, I think. So I think we could see some good things from them this year. If not a great finish, we'll see some incredible performances. That I can assure you of. It sounds like it's going to be a good one for Chelsea and a mm. team that hasn't strengthened so far is Liverpool. I think they're now the only team in the Premier League to have not brought players in. And one player that's been linked with them a lot is Thiago from Bayern. And yeah, Lewis it hurts. Is more, it hurts. He's more qualified than <laughs> me to talk about a Bayern player. But, yeah. you know, you, you refer to him as the most wanted man in Europe. Yeah. So how do you think he could fit in to a Liverpool or United are thrown around, but I think that's yeah. just media trying to stir yeah. and get Agreed. papers sold type thing. 
<laughs> yeah, like, whenever Man United are involved, you always have to take it with a pinch of salt, especially I know being a United fan. Oh, that that's um, what transfer window. Yeah. They, <laughs> exactly. They build, yeah. they build me up and they knock me down every year. That's the, that's the joy we... of being the United fan, mate. That's the joy of being the United fan. <laughs> we found, but, we um... found two of them now. We found two of them. <laughs> Oh my goodness! But with with Thiago, the thing the thing with him is that I I genuinely think that he is the top he is amongst the top three midfielders in Europe because he the people don't really understand how talented the guy actually is and all you have to do is watch the UEFA Nations League recently and you just see him on the ball he's graceful he's he understands the game he reads it ahead of everybody else he sees the pass when people don't. He has everything you need. And if he was 26, maybe three years younger, four years younger, we'd be talking about one of the best midfielders in the world. I don't know why, because he's 29. We're not thinking that because Silver went, David Silver went on for four or five more years. And I think Thiago will too. Um, in terms of where he's going to go, like Liverpool, like you say, have only bought, what is that, that Costas Simicast guy? I mean, he, he looks all right. He looks like a good backup to Andy Robertson. Andy but, that's, yeah, but that's all I think. He's really going to be, again, cup competition, squad depth. Good player, 10 million quid, solid UEFA league experience. Fair enough. Like, he's, he's all right. Um, but Thiago is, I think, one of the final pieces of the jigsaw, if ever there was one for Liverpool, because they're moving out by Naldon by the looks of things, for about 15, 20 mil to Barcelona, weirdly, because Kerman's there, which is, again, I, f- I find that a strange move, but, you know, we move. Uh, and if Liverpool get Thiago, I think... Barring a sole, like, selfish striker, they will probably be one of, if not the most complete uh, Premier League team to have ever graced the competition. And I think they'll continue their dynasty if they get Thiago. Um, and he remains injury-free and all, the, and all those other things. But on paper, that's what they're going to do. Um, he's come out today. I was watching transfer news on Sky Sports and a few various other outlets, as I do pretty much every day when it's, when it's the transfer window. Um, and it appears that his personal preference is towards Liverpool. He said that, his agent said that. And United are being used for fluff, I think, like we always are. And considering we bought <laughs> Donny van der Beek and we, we're linked with a few other players, I think, I don't think we're going to buy Thiago. I, I severely doubt it. Um, and our, um, what's the word? our priorities lie elsewhere. But I think he'll move to Liverpool, personally. And it's going to hurt me. And it's gonna uh, it's gonna scare everyone because with Thiago in there, I think Bayern Munich are an incredible team, and they lose something without Thiago. Um, Bayern Munich probably the best team in the world at the moment, and they would l- miss Thiago themselves, and he will be an asset no matter where he goes. Be it Man City, which I think is not going to happen anymore, um, Manchester United, which I hope it will, but probably won't, and almost certainly Liverpool, which is going to scare me. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, you say that that Liverpool would have the most complete team in the Premier mm-hmm. League ever. Mm. Would you say that that's even considering the team that Manchester City fielded two years ago when they ran away with the league? And yeah, you know, and you would say that it goes above that team because I'd I'd go as far as to say that that Manchester City team was damn near perfect. Yeah, well, that's the thing, and it's weird that you point that out because in the book there is a a chapter called Winning by Knockout and it features the City Centurions, which I, I say in the book then is, I know we've had the Invincibles, I know we've had Man United's teams and whatever, but that City team is the best Premier League team to have ever played in that, in that league. I completely agree with you there. Um, but like I said, if, 
Liverpool managed to get another striker, I think, to back up Firmino, like an out-and-out striker, plus Thiago. I can't look beyond them. I really can't. And I base that not just on how stacked their team is, but also on how well they played. Lest we forget, if they'd won one more game this year, they would have been centurions themselves and would have eclipsed Man City's record. So they're not far off. And I just think... I, I hate to say it because it's Liverpool, but <laughs> they they do possess one of the greatest teams that I've ever seen right now. And with Thiago, and if maybe if they had Werner or if they had another striker, I'm not sure who that could be, but an out and out centre forward, like I hate to say it, probably Memphis Depay, then oh, I can't look beyond them. I really couldn't. Memphis Depay has been linked with Barcelona to replace yeah. Luis Suarez. Mm-hmm. Uh, with writing the book and researching, was there anything that you weren't expecting or any secrets that were uncovered? Yeah, so one of the main things that we talk about, you can't really escape how big the English Premier League has become, for example, but I was always interested in how it became as big as it did and who were the main co-conspirators behind it. And there's another novel that I talk about which goes into that in a lot more detail than I do, but one of the main things that I wanted to pinpoint and to talk about is that the English Premier League wasn't an invention purely from English people or from um, English creators instead came from another sport I mean can you guys guess which sport it might have been rugby you got Uh, close I have no clue (laughs) it was the NFL so um, because one of the main big five um, people who were the main big five teams was David Dean the vice chairman of Arsenal and when they were discussing all the very, like I talk about in the book, but there's various things leading up to why they, the Premier League became that it did and why it went through a rebrand. And when he was looking for all this, it was like, right, we've got this great product on our hands. How do we launch it? And it just so happened that he was buddied up, um, you know, through what becomes being a, a massive vice chairman in that field. He was buddied up with a load of NFL teams. And he took a trip to the NFL and he said, right, let's compare what we do in the UK to them. In the UK, we had 10 minute halftime breaks no halftime anything, no real spectacle. The commentary is poor and yada, yada, yada. He goes to the NFL and America just know how to put on a show. <laughs> Let's just at least say that. Kings and he goes there. Exactly. And he goes there and he sees, right, oh my God, they've got cheerleaders. They've got people doing blowhorns into the stadium. They've got people throwing hot dogs. Right. right let's, let's try some of these. Let's see how it works. And if you were to go through the very first ever broadcast of Sky Sports in the Premier League, you will see cheerleaders, <laughs> you will see fireworks, you will see a big boombox, you will see everything. And without the NFL, the Premier League would not have become as big as it has been today because that set us off on the right course. But not many people know that. That's unreal. I would never have thought yeah. the NFL yeah. would have had that much Definitely of an was. effect on the Premier League. Yeah, that, crazy. That is and, unreal. That is unreal. And, and David Dean said himself, had he not gone on that trip, the Premier League wouldn't have been as successful as it was to begin with because he had to hook people. He had to get them interested. And that's what the NFL's influence managed to do. And without it, I don't think we'd be terribly off, but who knows where we would be. Well, there we go. So I think I want to say a big thank you to Dev for coming on and talking about the football spiderweb. The book is out on Amazon Prime in December, is that right? Yep, it will be available on Amazon Prime December 1st. So there we go, December 1st, and we'll post it all on socials when it's out, because I definitely want to read more <laughs> about this. It's 
like you say, you, I have a copy for myself. You call yourself <laughs> a football nerd. You're talking to two big football nerds as well. So all this is really damn really straight. Interesting to read. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, it's been Thanks great so to much, have Jeff. you on. And uh, who knows? We might have a, I might have you on to promote another book in the future. Maybe football spiderweb comes. Pipeline, so. <laughs> football spiderweb part two. <laughs> Second edition, yeah, that's two point oh. That's what I'm going to exactly, say. exactly. That means a bit catchier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there we go, guys. First of December, the football spiderweb out on Amazon Prime, and season two of the fifty plus one football podcast is being recorded next week. So keep an eye out for that. It's goodbye from me, and a big thank you again to Dev. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much, Dev. As Billy just said. We're dropping episode one, season two of the 50 plus one football podcast. It will be available on the 14th of September, come 5 p.m. As we said before, check out the football spider web. But that's all from us. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.